This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello, Australia. You're listening to My Millennial Money. I'm Glenn James. Today, we are talking about financial advisors. What they do, are they useful? Can they help you? What they don't do some common myths that I see keep popping up everywhere in the Facebook group. We're going to have a great chat with some advisors that are on my trusted panel at sortyourmoneyout.com when you click get help. If you need a financial advisor in Perth, Adelaide, or anywhere in Australia, these guys help a lot of clients all over Australia who listen to My Millennial Money. I'm speaking with Alex Luck and Scott Taylor from Everest Private Wealth, and we're going to chat about financial advice. We're going to do a cool case study about one of their clients who is a very similar typical listener to the My Millennial Money community. So strap in, you're in great hands. Let's have a chat. All right. Alex Luck, Scott Taylor, Everest Wealth, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Hey, Glenn. How are you going? Good. So, you're Scott. I am Scott. You're Alex. I am Alex, yes. So, there you go, everyone. You've picked the voices. And a lot of your clients will be listening to this. A lot of people who maybe have seen you at the Perth event, they'll be able to listen to this and put a face to the name. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to have a chat because, you know, you guys and your team at Everest Wealth are on our preferred panel of advisors. And, you know, there's a bit of a strict criteria to get onto that panel and you guys have been through the fire with me and had some awkward questions. Yeah, we are, you know, past the uh, trials and tribulations (laughs) to get on for sure. (laughs) Yeah, but look, I wanted to maybe just chat about, you know, what is a financial advisor, what do they do and what they don't do? And then we'll share this case study. Actually, what I might do first, Scott, if someone said to you right now, Scott, what's the best way to find a financial advisor? I think I need help. What would you say to them? Yeah. Well, the the first place I would start looking is asking your your close network of trusted people, whether that's your friends, mortgage broker, accountants, um, and and see if they've had an experience with a financial advisor in the past. Or family members, anyone. Absolutely. So, it doesn't matter if they're a bit older than you or not. There's there's a lot of financial planners out there that deal with a a vast range of people, ages and um, occupations and stuff. So, yeah, I'd start start off there and see if you have any luck at that that part. Yeah, because we get hung up and I always think like if I needed a new mechanic or a, a new barber or something like that, what do we do? We go to Google first. Yep, definitely. Which, yeah, yep. Google can lie. We know that. Mm-hmm. Um, I might ask friends and family because, and I think this is it, like when we start to ask questions about finding someone that we're after, whether it's a mechanic, a new cafe or whatever, usually people might go, oh, I've got a good mechanic, but he's a European specialist and you've got a Corolla, so maybe not. And- yeah, I don't know. Do you have any comments on that, Alex? Yeah, I think you need to, like you said, try to get a little bit more specific than that as, as possible with the with the car example because if you've got a Toyota and they're a European specialist, they're probably not going to be able to help with your Toyota. Yeah, so same goes fit. with yeah. yeah. So same goes with financial advice when you're when you're you're seeking that to begin with. It's making sure that the person that you're potentially pursuing or the company that you're pursuing does deal with people similar to yourself. You know, maybe it's similar age, similar incomes, you know, similar values is also obviously important um, for mm. sure. And I think one thing that I've kind of left out of this discussion 
you know, in the minutes that we've started is a real obvious question. And that is first, what are you trying to do? Because I'm not taking my boat to a car mechanic, am I? No, not at all. And, you know, we've got lots of different financial goals. And I think it's so important that we understand, well, hang on, I need to get out of debt. I've got credit card debt. I've got consumer debt. I mean, you don't need a financial advisor for that specific thing. You know, you can listen to free podcasts. You can Google 10 ways to get out of debt fast. Like there are some low-hanging fruit options for different areas. But I think one of the areas that I think it's important to get clear on is what am I wanting to do? Who do I need to help me with that? And actually get to the bottom of what that person actually does. Because I saw in the Facebook group the other day, which kind of it was a comment that triggered this whole episode. Someone said they've got money in the bank and they, they want to do something and they want to invest and don't know where to go about it. Anyway, someone wrote, just sink it into VAS or VHY. And I'll just stop right there. Like, you can't just blatantly follow instructions from people on the interwebs because they've got no idea. A financial planner will try and make you regularly buy and sell for a minor profit and take a commission each time. Now, that statement there is inaccurate and we'll tell you why soon. Just buy an ETF, set up your DRP, dividend reinvestment plan, and forget about it. You'll end up with more long-term anyway. So, this individual, they have written that with a couple of things in mind absolute conviction with what they're saying is the strategy to go, mm-hmm. absolute conviction that financial advisors just rip you off and are after commissions. Mm, just take your money. That's yep. right. And absolute conviction that you'll do better on your own than with a financial advisor. Now, I want to unpack this. So, Alex, talk about the ad hoc off the cuff online, quote unquote, just invest in these two ETFs? Yeah. So, I, I guess the, the issue with it to begin with is we don't really have the, the full context of what the um, initial person's situation was in regards to first and foremost, like we'll start with anything is, is what is their financial goals? So, where do they want to be? What do they want to do? Those are the important things first before jumping into, I guess, that that answer that you read out was basically straight into problem solving mode without, without thinking about any of those things. Mm. Um, not to mention, I guess, again, off the cuff, the diversification issue with that possibly, because that's just in Australian shares. Um, So you really need to start with what's your goals, what's the best strategy to achieve those goals, Mm. and then what's the best product to fit that. You don't just jump straight to product, um, which is just, you know, buy VDHG or something like that. Mm. You've really got to understand the why would I buy VDHG in this example uh, to begin with. Yeah. Now, Scott, there was a, a comment there about all financial advisors want to do is have you buy and sell equities and make a a profit each time. I mean, this is not 1980s stockbroker Wolf of Wall Street stuff. We just don't live in that world anymore, do we? 100%. So, Glenn, there's no financial advisor that would be doing this. Um, in, in terms of the, the recommendations that we do in that, there's there's no commission that we get from buying or selling, whether it be a direct share, ETFs or anything like that. So, that that is just an outright wrong comment. Yeah. And it's important to note everyone, like as part of the future of financial advice and then the Royal Commission into financial services and misconducting banking and all that stuff, it's actually illegal and actually not possible for a financial advisor in Australia 
to recommend you invest your money into a managed fund, like you said, ETF or shares, and receive a built-in hidden commission. Like it's actually not possible on this planet in Australia. Absolutely. The Australia planet. (laughs) The planet being Australia, yes. So that is just, and we need to talk about this stuff because so many times online in so many different Facebook groups, our group, other groups, I've bloody jump on Reddit, financial advisors are not able to take a hidden commission from any type of investment products. 100% clean. It's a fee for service. And that could be, we will, and we'll get into this as part of the case study, but it's you pay us money, flat fee for advice. And if you want us in your world going forward to help you keep accountable and whatnot, or if you had you know $3 million of money invested and you want us to help you manage that, there would be an ongoing flat fee. Uh, these guys here don't charge a percentage base fee and a percentage base fee for advice is still fee for service. It's just collected by a percentage. No one on my uh, sortyourmoneyout.com panel, any advisors all around Australia that I recommend to people uh, charge a percentage base ongoing fee. So, yeah, we, we charge, sorry, if I can jump in. No, yeah, so Yeah, so we, yeah, we charge a, a flat fee, fee for service, we charge a one-off fee for the initial advice and implementation. And then, like you said, if the client sees value then on being an ongoing client because yep. they want help on an ongoing basis, um, then we charge, again, a flat fee for an ongoing service for that, yep. Of, yep. which is all discussed and, and, and explained um, before anyone agrees to, to anything. Um, yeah. yeah. So, a couple of things that I just wanted to pause when I, when I saw that, I'm like, I can't believe I'm still reading this. And it's not, and I didn't want to mention the person's name because- they're just saying, with, and this is a problem, with conviction, these things that in their mind are facts, but it's actually not true. Yeah, it's not necessarily them doing anything wrong because that's what they believe in. Well, that's what's out there yeah. and, and being pro- propagated. Yeah, and like you said, you, you see it far too regularly, comments mm. like that, which are, like you said, just just completely incorrect. Yeah. Um, and we're all, obviously, you know, you're all about education and we're all about education as well. So we want people to have the facts and then make up their own mind. Yeah, but again rewind 20 years, there was hidden built-in commissions to financial products. 100%. It's only been unwound like In five, recent times, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So then people still have this knowledge, parents and, and, and the older generation of this, which is still being passed down that mm. there's crooks out there and stuff like that. You've got to watch out, don't go see them. So yeah, um, that's why I believe it's still being passed down and unfortunately still kind of online yeah. With the younger generation. And like these guys, like to be a financial advisor, it's just not the Wild West anymore because it's so heavily regulated and it's just, it's really hard. And for those who have, you know, listened to the Melissa Caddick podcast and all that stuff, I had someone say to me, oh, did you ever meet Melissa Caddick, you know, the financial advisor that ripped people off and all that stuff? And I'm like, no, because she was never licensed and she was just telling people she was an advisor Crooks don't generally hang out with the good people. No, <laughs> like, exactly right. <laughs> it's just and the, and the same thing with like the Who the Hell is Hamish podcast. Like, oh, did you ever meet him at like any financial planning events? I'm like, no, because <laughs> these people are crooks. They don't hang out yeah. with legitimate people because it'd just be they get found out like within ten seconds exactly. at an industry they're, they're event. They're frauds. Yeah. They're frauds. So yeah. straight away, like you said, anyone else who was in the profession would straight away be like, well, there's something not right with that. Yeah, um, absolutely. So uh, it's a good thing to talk about, and this bonus episode is just a peel under the hood of what a financial advisor does. Now, 
We will talk about this case study, but one thing you mentioned before, Alex, was talking about, you know, this person has just told this other person, just invest in VAS or, you know, VHY, which is the Australian high yield ETF um, with absolute conviction. Well, so many times in my financial planning career, we would have clients come in and they would say, and in fact, there's a question that I'm going to, I'll read it now that we're reading tonight at the live event. Uh, so you will have heard this um, in the recording, where to start investing with $5,000. Now, we could put that in the Facebook group and everyone's like going to put their things like, oh, just buy that, just buy this, just do that. But one thing I asked on the enrollment or the ticket data information for the event was what's your current financial goal? And then what's your question that you want to ask on the podcast, right? And this person's goal is to save for a home deposit. Oh, right. So, <laughs> so we all laugh because how many times do people come into our offices and say, I've got money, I want to start invest. And by the time we have a cup of tea, talk about life, talk about goals, it's like, yeah. well, hang on. No, I think that money should stay in your bank account yeah. or the yeah. first home super savings scheme. So it's yeah, just, I, I don't know. I just thought that was, I, I just, because I prepared these questions for tonight um, earlier and it just came to mind then. So mm, that's a great, and that, like you said, that does happen from time to time. People will come in and be like, I know I should invest this money. And yeah. it's like, okay, well, maybe, but let's mm. first discuss, yeah, your goals. Again, where do you want to be? What do you want to do? Because if it is, I want to buy a house in two years' time or something like that, well, then putting it into the share market is probably not going to be the best place for that money. You're so diplomatic. It's categorically not. <laughs> <laughs> He's licensed, I'm not. Yeah, I'm licensed. That's why I've got to be careful what I say. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but yeah. I guess it's, it's it's what the time frame is to people. Like someone mm. like short term to a lot of people that we see is tomorrow or, or next week. Yeah. Whereas short term with investing is really kind of – three years and under is you should really probably be keeping that in, in cash or a term deposit or something safe. Yeah. So let's talk about this case study. Um, we'll do so right after the break. But I want you to kind of, as you're hearing the case study, think about a financial advisor and a good financial advisor about a financial project manager for your life and your money. Because when you engage with a financial advisor, you'll sit down. There might be a hour discussion as part of you engaging with the advisor that you've comfortable with because there might be a little... Actually, do you guys, you guys do like a little 15-minute before, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah, so... Do you want me to explain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so we'll always, uh, when someone calls us initially, we'll have a 15-minute call just to kind of ensure that it is worth them kind of going to the next stage. We've got us. a Volvo and not yeah, a Toyota. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, and then we'll get them in for an, an initial meeting, whether that's kind of video or in person, yeah. and that still costs an obligation free to them, that hour, hour and a half session. So yeah. um, that's the kind of tack that we've we've taken, approach we've taken mm. with our business. Um, and it's a really soft approach, which really does um, give the, the the clients peace of mind that, hey, there's no, I'm not being rushed or pushed into anything. Mm. I can meet the guy, see if I like him and see if I'm going to get value from this and then I'll understand what I'm going to pay if I do want to move forward. Yeah. Yeah, big time. So, yeah, the 15-minute call was really, yeah, like Scott said, to make sure we can we can help to begin with and if we think we can, we then 
do another hour session, which we don't charge for, which is us more taking the client through. Mm. These are the key areas where we think we can help you. And this is broadly how we help clients in those areas. So they get a feel of basically, oh, if I go ahead, this is what I'm going to get in the background and throughout the process. Mm. And this is sort of what I'm going to end up with. And I want to call something out just as a a business owner myself and a, a previous business owner myself. This notion that, you know, financial advisors, they just want to rip as many people off as possible and all that crap. Like, you guys are too busy helping legitimate clients of yours that there is a value alignment, that there is a, um, you know, personality connection and it's good. Like, you guys don't have time and no one on my advisor panel that I recommend people to all over Australia has time to just take someone on if it's not the right fit anyway. Yeah, and the thing I often like to point out to people is like, do you really think we would have done years and years of study, paid all this money to get licensed, then just to rip somebody off? Mm. Like, it's just a ridiculous thing to really consider. Um, yeah. And if you are if you are doing that, straight away you're going to be found out. People aren't going to refer to you or anything like that. So it's a it's a terrible business plan. <laughs> actually, Pidge and I, we, you know, we actually, the most time we really ever spend together outside of the podcast is when we go on tour. So like we were walking around Adelaide the other day and we're just chatting and I was like, oh, far out. Imagine like how much, like using the My Millennium Money platform, you know, you could do a crypto pump and dump and just print money. And I said to John, it's like, yeah, we could make it like a lot of money really fast, but guarantee a very short career. <laughs> so yeah, exactly like, right. Very short career. <laughs> like, So it's just like a non-starter. And that's why, you know, anyone that I refer people to, and again, any different weird referrals in the Facebook group, we just delete them because we've had people uh, go to companies that have been in our Facebook group and then they've complained to me that I was referred to this company in bloody, you know, Darwin or whatever, and I had a really bad experience. It's your fault, Glenn. I'm like, no, I don't know who that is. You just obviously have seen them in the My Millennial Money Facebook group. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, something that I need to manage and um, really look after people who are after an advisor or a mortgage broker. And if you think about it, the way that we got introduced, you know, two and a half years ago was through a recommendation of a mutual friend of ours. Yeah. So you were looking for someone over in the West and, yep. and you asked one of your friends and he said, these guys are all right. And we obviously had a meeting and stuff like that. So yep. back to your original, I guess, question about mm. how do you find a good financial advisor? It's like anything. Yeah. Uh, personal and well, recommendation. And that's great. how I find good business partners, right? Yeah. And, and all that stuff. So, look, it's just one of those things. I would just really say to you listening, if you meet with anyone, whether it's a mortgage broker, an accountant, financial advisor, lawyer, butcher baker, candlestick maker, you know, there's not one candlestick maker in Australia. And if you don't gel with them on a human level, if you don't feel it's a right fit, go with your gut. Just don't do it because you're doing the candlestick maker and you a favour by not proceeding. Definitely. And when we, not not often, but from time to time, people will ring us and say, look, I've had an advisor. I'm not really vibing with them. They're, they're, you know, they're charging me X. Do you think that's a good deal? Mm. And that's all the context we get. So mm. we have no idea whether it's a good deal or not. So I always sort of say back to them, well, what does your gut tell you? Like, yeah. if you don't feel like you're getting value for that, yeah. then you're probably not. It's probably yeah. not the right fit. So you should probably move on. On the value thing, this is an interesting one. Value is perception. Yep. Big time. Yep. So I, for example, this is just a really dumb example. I've got a good one. Yeah. After, well, after, after well, here's my one. one. So when I book an Uber from the hotel to the airport, okay, or the airport to the hotel, 
I will often book the premium, okay? Because it's a slightly nicer car. It's usually a professional driver. It's just, it, I know the aircon's going to be on. I know it's not a, like an old taxi or like, for me, I just value if I've been traveling and working heaps, I know it's just less drama sometimes to get in a nice car and just relax a bit. Now, I value that and I'm happy to pay $33 to the hotel from Perth Airport rather than 18 Like that's a value judgment call. Where Pidge will probably just go, oh, where's the UberX? <laughs> or because, walk or something. Yeah, or like, bike. So do you, what, do you have any weird value quirks in uh, your life? Well, one, I was I was actually thinking about this last night, funnily enough, and yeah. um, the example I came up with, which I don't think is actually, I thought yours was all right, mm. um, is is <laughs> is the iPhone, right? Yeah. So you're an iPhone man, oh yeah, yeah, and so am I, and so is Scott, right? But I mean, what do the iPhones cost? A thousand bucks, fifteen hundred bucks, yeah. you want like they're yeah. they're quite expensive, oh yeah, and yeah. you could get a Samsung for half the price or whatever it sort of is. But for me. I like the iPhone. I like that it works. I like how it feels. Yes, I know it's more expensive than I could pay elsewhere, but I enjoy, I guess, just the usability of it. And I'm happy to pay the premium because yeah. I get value at that. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a weird value kink in your life, Scott? No, I don't. But I think Alex is uh, is missing something here. He, he actually gets a, a house cleaner at his house. Yeah, do, you, do you get a house great cleaner? Great value. <laughs> um, I do, but I'm still looking for one from my new place. Yeah. I've it's been, actually hard to get one right now. It's just, I don't know. I just, but I value that. Yeah. And weirdly, my weird value kink in that is that I like it because once a fortnight when they come, it just means me I need to lift all the clutter and crap up off my oh, floor. And you, you clean the house before clean, they come. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> Definitely. for me, it just keeps my house in order. So whatever your value kink is, it's no one else's business if they don't pay for that and they don't value that. And it's really important because realistically in Australia right now, I don't want to, when we talk about this case study, I don't want to say, oh, this person was charged X amount because I don't want to really anchor your business costs to every other financial advisor in Australia, right? So Yeah, they will have different costs. Yeah, sure. and I think it's a fair statement to say that um, in most financial advice businesses at the moment, you may need starting point two and a half grand to rock up once you engage. Like that's, you do the 15 minute call, you might do a goal session, whether paid or not, or a, an hour meet and greet just to see if we're a good fit. But once you really want to pull the trigger, you know, there is a financial commitment and it's like a personal project manager for your own money. Yeah, and you're investing in yourself. That's right. Yeah. So uh, I don't want to preempt the costs of... Um, of any type of advice, but I think it's fair to say that, you know, north of 2,500 probably is fair game in Australia right now. Okay, we'll be back after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Okay, we're back. I'm going to read uh, this case study here. You had a 28-year-old female living in Adelaide, single, works as a HR manager, earning 120 grand plus super. Now, I'll just pause there. That's a lot of money, but I will also say the average age of our podcast listener is 29 years old and the median income is $91,000. So, we do have on balance a high income earning audience. If you aren't at $91,000 at the moment, you will be soon because you're hanging around other income earners that are in you know, median of $91,000. Yeah, definitely. And if I can maybe jump in there just real quick, if you are a bit younger than that and earning a bit less, because sometimes we will get calls from time to time, I think as a general rule of thumb, before you would sort of even just ask the question of a financial advisor, generally working for a couple of years in your full-time profession is, is a good absolute minimum sort of starting point, I would say. Before you see an advisor? Before you sort of reach out and go, hey, can you help me? Um, sure. Well, but that, again, it speaks to like this book here, my book. Thanks for having a copy of my book in your meeting room. Look at that. Right, it's a great book. Great read. Yeah, there's got about freaking three of them under each monitor in your office. Um, good monitor stands. I, I haven't read it yet, but, yeah. I, but I will. <laughs> <laughs> but I wrote this book to kind of help people get to a, a level that they can invest and spend two and a half thousand dollars for a professional advisor. So you don't always need a financial advisor first off. And my book is a good starting point or the podcast or, you know, getting out of consumer debt, having a good-ish system in place. Because like you said, like on that, in regards to the, to the consumer debt, if you did come see a financial advisor, yes, they, they may be able to help you with that. Well, they, they could help you with that if you wanted. But the exciting thing of not having consumer debt and going and seeing a financial advisor is all those exciting things of where you want to be or what you want to do, i.e. buy a house, build an investment portfolio, be able to retire early. You can start right away mm. because you don't have these annoying short-term high interest debts. I will also say if you're a high income earner, and you've got debt and you're sloppy with your money and you've tried to self-help yourself and you can't, generally you do have the money and you might need to actually invest in some actual accountability uh, because you're wasting too much money. Um, this case study, so I'll recap, 28-year-old female, single HR manager, 120K plus super, uh, 90K in savings, wow, that's awesome. No consumer debt, just uh, help debt. 57000 with host plus in the default balanced option. You can look at page 291 of my views of that uh, super fund. One of, in your, the book. one of your favorites, is it? That super fund? Yeah, I just use them as a case study in my book. Um, no investments, has never sought advice before and has listened to different podcasts and read books and needed some help and direction with finances. So tell me about her initial goals. 
Yeah, so her initial goals when she came to see us was that she'd like to buy her first property. She was hoping that that would be possible in the next couple of years, but wasn't too sure of how much money she would need or what what her borrowing capacity was like or anything like that. At the same time, though, she was at an age in her life that she's now earning really good money and in, enjoying traveling. So that was also important to her it's that uh, any house purchase didn't kind of limit her, her ability to travel. Um, she'd also heard through through her readings and, and learnings that kind of now protecting her income may be may benef- beneficial given that she's a, a sole income earner and, and relies on her income to pay the bills and, and, and live. Um, and then also ideally would like to retire earlier like we all do, kind mm. of um, that, that whole fire movement, a lot of what we see, um, people want to uh, have financial independence and, and have work be optional. Yeah, totally. So her initial goals, she shared those with you in the initial kind of meet and greet meeting. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, that's right, Glenn. But then it was quite apparent that uh, she did have more goals or they needed more refining um, in terms of the house was the number one priority to occur within 24 months because she was sick of of renting mm. um, and kind of being kicked out of different rentals as they, those houses get sold or, or whatnot. So that was her main one, but she still wanted to know what the value of the house purchase she could get while still being able to travel and spend do an overseas trip and spend right. seven and a half grand a year. So is that kind of balancing act between those two goals became very apparent. Yeah. So sh- she obviously engaged with um, with your services. And I was just writing as you're talking, for some personalities, it will never make sense to spend, I don't know, I'll make a number up, the best part of three grand to have a professional sitting on the opposite side of the room with you and spend a few hours and putting a plan together because like that comment in that Facebook group that we shared early, this individual said, well, you don't need to spend that. You'll do better without that. So it, it can be counterintuitive for a lot of people to want to actually sit down with a professional face-to-face. You know, I know friends that service their own cars. Exactly. I don't. Yeah. And... An example I was thinking, and I wrote down, I was catching up with a friend who has an investment property and this friend, I would say, you know, on the spectrum, you know, there's spender or saver. This friend is probably on the tight ass or cheap, you know, spectrum. Like well, well, yeah, that's probably well into the saver, you know, camp. And he's got an investment property and he's legitimately... He's managing himself and a lot of you manage your own investment properties and that's totally sweet. But he was saying he could easily increase the rent by $250 because his current tenant is well, well under market rates. And I said to him, mate, how long has that been happening for? He's like, oh, a few years. It was counterintuitive to him to pay 8.8% for a rental manager because he wanted to do it himself. That if he had paid an agent to actually manage the property for him, he would have made more money. Mm. Plus, but his plus pers- the time saving. That's well. right. So, but his personality just can't click and compute that, oh, I need to invest money to get a better outcome where I can just do it myself and save spending that money. So, I just want to say loud and clear, not every service is for everyone. No, definitely not. I mean- Another quick example on that, I once worked with a guy who used to drive the 20 minutes in the wrong direction to home from work to save 10 cents on fuel 
because there would be like you know, a cheaper fuel station 20 right. minutes in the wrong direction yeah. because yeah. he just didn't value his time at all. Yeah. Like he put no value on his time. And I'm yeah. like, but you're going 40-minute round trip to save 10 cents a litre. Like yeah. To me, that's crazy. I'll yeah. pay the extra. You know? But we're, we've all got these weird emotional kinks that don't make sense, right? Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Maybe yep. we should call this episode weird emotional kinks. <laughs> weird value and emotional yeah, kinks. Yeah, the concept of value. So, okay, so I'm just reading here. Uh, you re- refined her goals, which were to purchase her first home within 24 months for a $600,000 purchase price, uh, $7,500 annual travel allowance uh, for an overseas holiday three weeks each year, maintain an emergency buffer of $10,000 at all, of, at all times. You helped her with a clear cash flow plan and direction, Um and a bit of accountability in the setting up the structure of that? Yeah, so I guess that's uh, going back to the emergency fund first, Glenn, if I can. Um, that's a very common question that we get is how much should I have as an emergency buffer? Mm. Um, and everyone's very different. We've had people with 50 grand, six months spending, three months spending, five grand, no money. So um, don't feel as though the emergency buffer has to be what someone else has. Mm. Do it what makes you feel comfortable. Do you have a general house view of that as your practice we, here? We tend to sort of set it somewhere between 10, 15 and 20, depending on how much they've got in savings. Right. So um, you don't really go the three months well, of expenses? Well, we do. Or we, or, or we can. And yeah. a 10 months, sorry, 10 grand is, is typically sort of closest yeah. to that. Like I literally had one today in the meeting before, their emergency fund is going to be 250 grand, um, which is the most I've ever sort of seen, but wow. very, very conservative people. Didn't know John Pigeon was a client. <laughs> These guys had saved uh, close to $900,000. Wow. Yeah. Should get them on the podcast. They know how to save. Yeah. Um, I hope they know how to spend. Yeah, well, that's what I'm trying to get them to, to, to basically invest a little bit of it. But, mm. but yeah, again, so everybody's different, right? So for these people, yeah. 250 grand, that was the minimum that they could still sleep What was on. their incomes? Uh, only about uh, one and about 100 grand. The other was 130. And wow. they're only 34 years old. Wow. Yeah, they they're save a lot of money. They're just hyper-focused and yeah, saved. very good savers. But they've come to us because they know we can't just keep saving money. We need to do something yeah. with it. Um, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, but then going back to the cash flow point, Glenn, before I yeah, kind of yeah. took you off track. No, no, no. It's- um, yeah, everyone's different with this as well. So some people like Alex will have multiple multiple accounts, like 10 accounts to manage his his affairs and, and kind of really micromanage it. Whereas myself, and there's no right wrong mm. with this, we'll have kind of three accounts and, and keep it quite high level. So that's with the cash flow plan. We really want to make sure that it's it's going to work for mm. someone and, and help them keep accountable whether they need us on an ongoing basis or not. Yeah, and you did... Um just clarify that you would review her super and look at some income insurance and some investing. So let's cut to the, whatever the cool saying is. This is the chase, cut to the chase. Um, The advice that you gave to this individual, and I will say you guys have permission to to share her case study anonymously. Um, So just for anyone wondering. So you, you, you helped her with the cash flow and a clear banking structure. You've put seventy-seven thousand into the house deposit and ten grand into an emergency buffer account. So you basically spent all her money. Buff three grand. Yeah. But- <laughs> yeah. It's gone. It's funny when you look at the statement of advice, the outcomes of advice, often it's like, yeah, overall funds is zero. And it actually looks like sometimes people are like, but where's all my money gone? Yeah, that's it's like, right. oh, it's been invested and it's deposit of the house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was the deposit on the house? So that was more than ten percent. Um so that oh, was, sorry, that was over 20%. So that's the starting balance. 
Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, that's what they're starting with and yeah. then we looked at putting um, $15,000 um, into the their super for the first home super saver scheme. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Sh- yeah, that was the starting point. Yes. Uh, starting with $77,000. Yeah. Oh, and you flushed fifteen grand through the first home super saver scheme, which this is wild, right? Which will save approximately $6,000 in overall tax savings. Yeah, over two financial years, um, which is which is a great benefit for this person. So, the, mm. the people that we see this help is people that are notoriously not good at saving money because they can salary sacrifice into super or put, yep. put some of their money into super and they can't kind of touch it until they mm. buy a house. But for this person who is a good saver, it's just a, a tax kind of benefit from putting money into super and then being able to pull mm. it back out. Yeah, it's just a, it's a tax wash. The, um, the cool thing about it, if I can just add as well, yeah, like, you know, um, if you've already got, you know, the money as well, which is sort of putting aside for, for the house deposit, you can potentially dump in 15 grand, you know, sort of June 30 and then another 15 grand, you know, July 1st and get 30 grand in um, and get an even better tax saving and then rip it all out and say buy a house in, in September of that year. So there's a lot of cool things that you can really do with it to um, effectively, yeah, to save yourself some more coin. Yeah, so that's a big one. So just even that, having that strategy probably <laughs> in the tax savings well and truly covered your fee and left her better off overall as well. So um, you've also allocated $3,000 to a, the holiday account and yep. suggested $288 per pay cycle, which is fortnightly into the account. Yeah, so that adds up to $7,500 per year, that 288 yep. But we thought given... Uh, starting a holiday account with zero with, with kind of summer coming up at that time that we provided advice to this person that she was planning on booking some holiday pretty soon that the yeah. account would only get up to $1,000. So starting that with a, with a bit of a buffer so that she doesn't feel bad or it's, we're not setting her up to fail from kind of day one. Yeah. You reviewed the cash flow and there was $1,200 spare per fortnight. So you're aiming for a 20% deposit plus stamp duty to avoid LMI. And within, within two years. Yeah, within the two years. Yeah, yep, cool. There was $373 per fortnight um, to commence an investment plan. And again, this is very specific to this individual, but you recommended the Vanguard Personal Investor Platform. It has an auto-invest function, um, so it could be hands-off for her, and you invest. You recommended the Vanguard High Growth Managed Fund. Yeah, so it would have gone the managed fund there because of the fees um, as opposed to the ETF and um – this particular person wanted an auto invest function as well, which yep. not not every platform provides. Yep. So that is, I guess, part of the criteria that we ask. Along yep. with, you know, if this person, in this case, she didn't, but um, some people have ethical preferences as well towards sure. their investing. So that's one of the things you need to take yep. into consideration. Uh, you reviewed her super fund, um, and you got her a, a more appropriate fund with a lower fee offering, and you tweak her risk profile to be high growth. Yep. So after yeah, going through some questions and, and, and around her risk profile and tolerance, she was uh, definitely open given her age to, to being more aggressive with her super. And what was the platform? Uh, so the platform for this particular person we used was a was a platform called Clearview, yep. which a lot of people wouldn't have heard of mm. before. But yep. as we sort of explained to clients, it, it, it doesn't matter per se if you ne- haven't necessarily heard of this super fund before because the super fund is just a trustee. So where your money gets invested um, is in the underlying assets, which is, say, the Australian share market, the American share market, et cetera, et cetera. So 
Clearview doesn't actually hold their money. It's just the trustee of. That's right. It's just the platform. So yeah. And there's there's hundreds of super funds out there yeah. other than just, you know, sort of the big four um, that people typically sort of but know. But isn't OS Plus the best? Anyway, don't answer that. Don't answer. Um, and you've set up some income insurances with her um, and funded some of it from super and some outside of super. Now, this individual, it looks to me, just reading this, that it was a set and forget, quote unquote, as in, there wasn't a need for you to charge her an ongoing fee. Yeah, correct. Um, so the way it works with us is um, we, we obviously go through the advice and, and through the strategy meetings, the client you know, understands what's going to be involved on an ongoing basis. And with this particular client, um, you know, we, her, um, her investment was auto invest. So that was sort of set and forget. Mm. She had the savings plan, which she knew she was then going to be able to hit the, the house purchase goal in the time frame. She had the, the cash flow structure. So she doesn't really need an ongoing service. Um, so with this particular client, once she sort of hits these goals, she can always come back and engage mm. us for some more one-off advice. Yeah, hang on. The stuff in the Facebook group says financial advisors just want to lock people in and make heaps of money off them forever. Yeah, that's that's really just a fallacy um, these days. Uh, so, are you saying that someone could come to you and pay for once-off advice and be on their merry way? I'm saying they could do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if yes, they, they wanted to. Provided they vibe with us and we vibe with them yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Yeah, so it's always offered um, depending on their situation. Sometimes we won't even offer because we just don't see the value in in what we would charge for them. Um, Mm. And in this case, that that was the case. Yeah, Yeah, and and the ongoing, I think, provides value from two perspectives, if it's for the right person. One, their their situation is complex enough that things are going to be changing, that they need that sort of ongoing yeah. service to keep readjusting stuff. But also the accountability piece. And the accountability piece. Yeah. So that's the other one. Yeah. Um, so if you sort of need those two things, then ongoing potentially is worth it. Again, provided that you perceive, uh, perceive the value in that. Mm. Um, however, for a lot of people, it's not. So for us at, at Everest Wealth, our, our clients are pretty much sort of split for probably about 50-50. Yep. Half will go into ongoing and, and half won't. They mm. just do the one-off advice. Yeah, no, that's cool. And if you want to actually have a look at the case study, we'll put a link in the show notes and uh, these guys got it on their website and we'll put a, a link in there so you can actually have a, a read of the um, the background, the initial goals, the refined goals and the advice. But I will say it is general in nature and it hasn't considered your personal circumstances. And if you do want to reach out uh, anywhere in Australia to Everest Wealth, you're welcome to do that. If you want to chat with another type of advisor in my world, you can go to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help. Full disclosure, that was an ad for sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help. I don't work for free. No one else here expects anyone to work for free. But I just really wanted to show you a little bit under the hood of you know, what a good financial project manager can do, get you on the right track, save you a bit of tax, be in your corner and you know, just maybe consider getting an advisor after you've read my book. Because yeah, book first. Yeah, because don't, you know, you can if you want, but I had so many clients come to me like, oh, we need financial advice. I'm like, no, you don't. You need to get out of consumer debt. You need to get on a budget. You need to stop spending all your freaking money. Like, <laughs> that was a lot of people, right? So, now, was there anything that you guys want to add that we may have missed? Um, not really. I, I guess probably, well, the only thing I would probably add um, in terms of, I guess, yeah, how a financial advisor can help you or the way I like to think about it is 
effectively people will come to us and they might be like, oh, I need to buy a house and I need to invest and I, I want to go on holiday and I, I just don't understand how all these things fit together. That's what the role of the advisor yeah. is, is explaining to you and helping you come up with strategies so that stuff can all sort of fit together. So to, so to basically complete the puzzle for you. And um, a good sense check. Yeah, that too. Absolutely. 100%. So there's, there's, like you said, Glenn, tax savings, there's potential fee savings with super or investments. But the underlying thing as well that you, you don't physically see is that peace of mind factor as well that, that uh, clients get from seeing a financial advisor. Which is that weird value kink. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And there are more options than VAS and VHY. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, we'll leave it there. Alex and Scott, Everest Wealth over here in Perth, helping clients all over Australia. Thanks so much for being part of uh, the My Millennial community, looking after all my listeners. You're both good guys, run a good business. And, you know, I trust you with anyone that I send to you. Even if they don't go ahead with you guys, I trust you enough to connect with our listeners to see if there's a fit. Absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Glenn. Appreciate it. No worries. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.